Matthew 6, verses 1 to 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Well, good morning. It's uh, great to, uh, to see you, although I can't really see you, but you can see me, so I guess you'll just have to, uh, have to, have to do with that. Uh, this is a bit strange, isn't it? And it's, uh, we, we're living in strange and challenging times. Um, COVID-19 has, uh, has impacted us and changed our lives in all sorts of ways, including the fact that for the first time in 100 years, uh, Anglican churches in Sydney have been suspended. Uh, we, along with everyone else, have been scrambling around uh, this week to adapt, uh, to, uh, to, to work out what we're going to do, and so here we are. This is our first step in this new chapter as a church. Uh, I think it's a little crazy uh, to think that just seven days ago we had our AGM and we talked about our plans for 2020. And uh, it reminds me of the truth of uh, Proverbs uh, 16 verse 9 that says, in the hearts of, uh, of people, of humans, sorry, in their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. It is a strange and challenging time. Uh, it's a time of stress and uncertainty for many people and uh, it's important that we that we look out for each other and we show love to each other as best we can. 
Uh, it's important also that we continue to, to feed on God's Word, that we draw comfort from His Word, that we hear His Word and uh, word of warning and of correction. And that's what we need. That's what we need now. That's what we need always. Uh, as we heard from our Lord Jesus just a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 4, where He says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what we need. And so as we've been doing over recent weeks, as we've fed on the the words that come from the mouth of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, that's what we're going to continue to do this morning. We're going to to continue in our series through uh, Matthew's Gospel. And uh, the next part is in Matthew 6. And we're going to look at this together, albeit in a different kind of format. Now, I've been preaching for about 20 years uh, but I think this is only the, the second time that I've preached through a, a video camera. Uh, the first time was back in 2013, which uh, some of you may remember if you've been around our church for a while. And uh, you might remember Harrington Park School had an art show in their hall where we normally meet. And so they kicked us out of the hall for one Sunday. And so what we did was we had Home Church Sunday. And so I thought I'd share with you a little, little blast from the past, uh, a little snippet of that sermon Uh, from 2013. So have a look at this. Are we working? Uh, We'll just see if we can get the video to show. Is it working? Oh, I'm not sure if it's, it's working or not, but um, that's all right. There we go. We back live, James. I'm not sure how that works, but you got a bit, bit of a snippet of, um, of me, hopefully, from 2013. Some things don't change, right? I've, I'm, nothing's changed at all. Uh, Gav said that's what two assistant ministers will do to you, but um, anyway. So here I am. I'm preaching to you through a camera. Uh, it does feel, I've got to say, it does feel a little bit, um, little bit strange. Uh, but, you know, maybe I'll get used to this in the, in the coming days. Maybe this will become very familiar. Perhaps this will be the beginning of an amazing new career for me along with many ministers around the world. You know, maybe next year at the Oscars, they'll introduce a new category next February, Best Live Stream Preacher of 2020. Uh, I think it's unlikely, although who would have thought a few weeks ago that things would be as they are today? So, you know, anything's possible. But I do hope that our crazy world doesn't come to that where we have uh, preachers getting Oscars, praising people for acting, which is very different to what preaching is. If you think about the Oscars, we praise people for acting, which you might say is actually a bit strange. I mean, we praise someone for being able to change their, their whole behaviour, their whole person to become someone else, someone that they're not. Or put it the other way around, people pretend to be someone that they're not in order to win people's praise. Look, that's okay, that's normal in the film industry. But when you see this sort of thing happen in the real world, well, you end up with another sort of actor. They're what Jesus calls in Matthew 6, hypocrites. People who pretend to be someone that they're not in order to win people's praise. 
And in Matthew 6, Jesus warns us to be careful to, to not be like the hypocrites. You've probably heard that, um, that accusation that's thrown around sometimes. It says, ah, the church is full of hypocrites. You might have also heard the witty reply that says, no, it's not. There's still room for more. Sometimes that criticism, well, it's just a smokescreen, really, that people hide behind to, to avoid facing the truth about Jesus. And they dismiss Jesus by pointing out the faults of his followers. But then sadly, there can be truth to the accusation of hypocrisy. And this is what Jesus warns us against, which I want us to, to, to think about and to examine our, ourselves this morning as we continue to work through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Thankfully, though, as well as warning us about hypocrisy, Jesus also tells us how to avoid it, how to live our lives before the eyes of our Father in heaven, which for us in these crazy times, I hope that that, that truth will really help us to reset our focus. So let's get into it. Uh, we're coming into this uh, partway through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Jesus has called those who, uh, who follow him uh, to, a, to live a life of righteousness. Uh, the last verse of chapter 5, he said, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. But then immediately after this, he says, 6 verse 1, we need to be careful. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. We need to be careful of the way that we go about our acts of righteousness, careful of our motives. And Jesus then illustrates this with three examples in this passage, which we're going to look at in turn. But firstly, notice the pattern in these three examples. Uh, He says, when you do such and such act of righteousness, do not do such and such as the hypocrites do when they do so and so. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full, but instead do this. And then your father who sees what he's done in secret will reward you. That's the, the structure of each of these three examples. And so in the first case, he talks about giving to the needy. He says, verse 2, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. Don't, don't, don't draw attention to yourself, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. People are, are giving to others, but they're doing it publicly to win people's praise. I think we see examples of this today, where companies will pay big dollars in donations to charity if they know that it'll be good for their PR. It'll make people think well of them. It's been shown that, uh, that fundraising campaigns make more money in the names of, sorry, make more money if the names of the people giving are read out and published in some way. People give to receive honour from other people. And Jesus says at the end of verse 2, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. They want to be honoured by people. Well, they've got what they wanted. People may think that they're great, but God, on the other hand, is not impressed. They've received the only reward that they'll get. So, Jesus' advice to avoid this hypocrisy, verse 3, he says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. The way to guard your motives against hypocrisy when we give is to to do it discreetly so that your giving may be in secret. That is, our our actions should should not be paraded before people to impress them. Rather, we're to live our lives before the eyes of our Father in heaven 
the one who sees what we do in secret and seeks his praise. Uh, We should aim to be a God-pleaser, not a people-pleaser. Now, does this have implications for our giving to church? Does this mean that we we should never talk about how much we give? Does giving have to be done in secret? And that's what's commonly uh, taken from this passage. Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Therefore, all church giving must be done in secret. I actually don't think that's what Jesus is saying. And it's interesting to, when you look at the New Testament church, the early church, giving there had, had, was uh, far more open and, and public than it is for us. Uh, take, for example, in Acts 4, we read of people selling land or houses and, and bringing the, the money and laying it before the apostles' feet to be distributed to the needy. I mean, that's, that's fairly public giving. Now, I, I think perhaps our own cultural sensitivities of, you know, not talking about money, that, that may be affecting us such that we think, well, you know, all giving must always be secret and anonymous. But that said, we need to be careful. And that's Jesus' point here. His point is not just, you know, giving must be done, always done in secret. His, his point is, be careful that your giving is not done in order to win people's praise. Which means that if we are tempted to, to give in a way that, that gets people's attention, that, that makes them think well of us, then we ought to safeguard ourselves against that temptation by giving in secret. The issue is not the action of being secret or not, it's the motivation. It's, it's not doing things to impress people. Uh, while we're on the topic of giving, um, if you normally give to our church via the collection box, uh, obviously that's going to be a little bit difficult in the days ahead. Um, so uh, it would be great if, uh, if you could to switch to a regular direct transfer into the church account, which is how, how most of our giving happen, happens. Perhaps we'll email out some details in the days ahead about how to set that up. Let's move on from money. Um, the, the main point with that was that, that we should give in a way that seeks to, please, to be a God-pleaser, not a people-pleaser. All right. Well, that same principle we see in the second example, and that is of prayer. Jesus says in verse 5, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, and on the street corners to be seen by others. It may seem strange uh, to us to think of you know, praying on a street corner to show off, but it seems that in first century Palestine that was a thing. Uh, religious hypocrites would, would use prayer to portray to everyone how super spiritual and, and religious they were. They'd pray to be seen by others. As Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. If their performance is before the eyes of people to win their accolades, then that's all they're going to get because God is not impressed with their act. And so Jesus says, don't be like that. Instead, be discreet in your prayers. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And the outcome as before, verse 6, then your father who sees what he's done in secret will reward you. Prayer to your Father is between you and Him. Now you might think, well, hang on, what about church, or praying in church or praying at growth group? I mean, that's, that, that's public praying. And yes, prayer is something that we, we should do together. We see that elsewhere in the Bible. But there is a danger for us in how we pray corporately. 
The danger is that we, we can become more concerned to, to say the right things so that people will think well of us, to, to perform well before people and forget the fact that what we're doing is talking to our Heavenly Father. Now, when we pray corporately, we, yes, we should be conscious of others in as much as we're, we're leading them in prayer so that they can say amen with us. But we, we need to remember that what we're actually doing is, is praying together to our Heavenly Father. I've got to say, this, this word is a warning for me. You know, as someone who, who does things up front at church, what people think of me, can, it can be very important to me. And I need to remember that, that my true audience is God, my Heavenly Father. I'm not to be some sort of play actor, pretending to, to have everything sorted out. You know, it's not just um, doing things up front at church. I think there's a danger in, in how we relate to, to each other that we can... You know, put on a, a show to make people think that we're something we're not. Um, in, the, in the church I grew up in, which is a, a traditional Baptist church, and I actually think my mum and dad are, are streaming this online. Shout out to mum and dad. Um, in the church that I, that I grew up in, uh, it was the common practice and the culture at the, at the end of church, after the final amen, that, that everyone would sit quietly with their, their head bowed and their eyes closed. And, you know, as a, as a young kid, I'd see this going on and I'd think, oh, yeah, I guess they're praying about, I don't know, whatever. And look, in one sense, that, that could be a really good thing to, to pause, to, to take to heart what, what we've heard from God's Word. But it also does strike me that there's a, there's a danger there of hypocrisy with a practice like that, with, with this kind of public, private praying. You know, you're supposed to be praying to God, but at the same time, you're kind of sending messages to one another about how pious you are. You know, oh man, look at that, there's, there's Fred, he, he's, he's been going for... 15 minutes now, he must be really super spiritual. Now, perhaps that never happened. But it just illustrates how we, we need to be careful that our, our acts of righteousness are not done to, to impress others. We've got to be careful to not be hypocrites. And Jesus' answer to that danger is to pray in secret to our Father. It's actually pretty hard for your, your motives to be mixed when it's just you praying to God in your room with your door closed. But before we get to our third um, example of hypocrisy, Jesus takes us on a, on a tangent on, on, to teach us about prayer. And this is, this is fabulous. This is beautiful. Uh, it's as if he says, like, while we're talking about prayer, verse 7, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you, are, what you need before you ask him. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that liberating? Jesus says, don't babble. Don't, don't babble on endlessly thinking, well, you know, God will hear you because of how long you pray. And you don't have to strive to make God hear you. He, he not only hears your prayers, he knows what you need before you even ask him. Prayer is not a performance to impress people and it's not a performance to impress God. God is our loving Heavenly Father and He knows our needs even before we ask Him. Jesus continues this tangent on prayer and He, he gives us a model of how to pray with this, this prayer famously known as the Lord's Prayer. I think it's kind of ironic that just before this, uh, Jesus has, has warned against praying with meaningless repetition because no other prayer has probably been repeated by people more often than this and often quite done with, uh, with meaningless repetition. Um, I, I think our politicians still pray this prayer at the start of Parliament. Um, I think that's the case and, and I expect that for, for many of them, 
it is just meaningless repetition. And so it's, it's ironic what we've done with Jesus' prayer uh, because his intention is for this to, to actually be a model, a framework for prayer, not a magical set of words for us to repeat. Um, it is okay to pray these particular words, but Jesus is saying these are the types of things that should characterize your prayers. And it's, it's a beautifully simple framework for prayer. There's, uh, there's six petitions. Uh, two groups of three. Uh, three things that center on God and three things relating to us and our situation. But, but firstly, before the, the, the six things, notice how we address God. We're, we're to call God our Father in heaven. In fact, I don't know if you noticed, but all through this chapter, God is referred to as your Father. What a privilege that is to be children of God that we can, we can address the sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe, the, the one who is Lord over all, who is Lord even over this broken, sinful, disease-ridden world. He is the one in control and we can call him Father. He cares for us as his children. He's the perfect Father who knows what we need even before we ask. And so we come to God as our Father. First three things, focus on God and his kingdom. We pray that that God's name would be hallowed, that he would be acknowledged as holy, that that people in this world would recognize God as God. Uh, And I think in the face of the current turmoil and uncertainty, we pray that, that people would turn to God, would hallow his name. We pray secondly that God's kingdom would come. Indeed, God's kingdom has come in Jesus by his death and resurrection. He has brought forgiveness. He has ushered in God's kingdom. And yet, we're still awaiting the final consummation of that kingdom. When Jesus returns to judge the world, when he will clean up the mess, when he'll bring final justice and graciously bring his people to be with him forever in the new creation where there will be no more sickness or sin or disease or death. And with that future ahead of us, we pray, your kingdom come. Thirdly, we pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that that I would live the way God wants, that my family would live the way God wants, that that each person in our church, in our neighborhood, in, in our nation, in this world, that we pray that God's will would be done, that God would pour out his spirit on people and lead them to obey him. Your will be done, we pray. Well, then three things. We pray regarding us and our situation. Firstly, we pray, give us today our daily bread. That is, provide for us all all that we need for life, both life now and for eternity. I think in light of recent panic buying at the shops, this prayer for daily bread takes on a new literal meaning. But God is our provider. Secondly, we ask our Father to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, this highlights the, uh, the importance of being consistent and, and not being hypocritical. If we, if we want God to be forgiving towards us, well, we need to take that on board and, and have that same attitude of forgiveness to those who've wronged us. We need to imitate our Father here. And lastly, we pray, protect us from sin. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The Lord's Prayer deals with us and sin and it takes it seriously. 
we shouldn't just let this wash over us. I think we can become overly familiar. But our fundamental need in life is for forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And that is what Jesus freely gives us by his death on the cross. What an incredible privilege. Jesus teaches us to to pray to our, our Heavenly Father to ask him to forgive us and to protect us. And we admit that, well, quite frankly, we need his help. Temptation to sin is real. And so we ask our Father to lead us, to deliver us. Well, that's the Lord's Prayer. Uh, let me encourage you, if, if sometimes you feel a bit, a bit lost about what to pray, use the Lord's Prayer as a, as a framework. Put, pray at a line at a time and, and expand on, on each, each petition. It's a great way to keep our prayers focused on God and His kingdom. Well, finally, Jesus' uh, third example of, of doing our acts of righteousness carefully, it's to do with fasting. We don't have time to to go through it now, but it's the, it's the same idea. These, these hypocrites were using fasting to, to draw attention to themselves and to win people's praise. And Jesus says, don't do it. Instead, hide the fact that you're fasting. Do, you, do your acts of righteousness in secret before your Father in heaven. Which brings us back to the, the key point of this passage. And that is that we have the privilege of calling God our Father and we live our lives day by day before his eyes. God is the one who sees what he's done in secret. Uh, we need to remember that. that. That is reality. So let's live before him and let's seek to please him rather than chasing after the approval of other people. As we navigate our way through these strange times, let's be anchored in living before his eyes, dependent on him in prayer. Let's pray now. Our Lord God, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do indeed know us, that you are our Father who sees what is done in secret. Father, we confess that that our motives for doing things can be so mixed up. It's easy to seek the praise of people instead of aiming to please you. Please forgive us and please help us to live each day facing the challenges of each day before us to live knowing that that we live before your eyes as our loving Heavenly Father who knows what we need even before we ask. Our Father, we pray that you'd help us in this. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue our time in prayer now. And kids, if you're still hanging in there, well done. Grab a seat now as we spend some time in prayer. Put your hands in your lap. Don't poke your brother or sister or your dog. We're going to talk to our Father in heaven now, so please uh, join me as we do. Loving Father and Almighty God, we praise you as a sovereign Lord of the universe. We praise you that to you, the nations of the world are like a drop in a bucket and like the dust on the scales. We are so thankful to know that you own the cattle on a thousand hills and that nothing is too hard for you. We thank you that you care for us, that you number even the hairs of our heads and that all the days ordained for us were written in your book before any of them happened. We thank you that you can be trusted and we do trust you, Lord. Help us to trust you even more at this time. 
Thank you that the coronavirus and all the frightening circumstances popping up around it are not frightening to you. Thank you that you know everything there is to know about the virus. Thank you for this desperately needed reminder that we need you. Lord, we confess that we spend so much time thinking and acting as if we were self-sufficient. Forgive us. Help us to remember that we depend on you for everything we need, whether we feel healthy or sick, whether the global economy is healthy or sick. Use this time to teach us to trust you more during good times and bad. Father, please pour out your common grace on our world to halt this virus in its tracks. All things are possible for you, Father. And so we ask for healing for a sick world. Please heal those who are already ill. Please protect the elderly and others who are especially, especially vulnerable to this virus. Please intervene to slow the spread of this virus in countries all over the globe. Please give wisdom, insight and knowledge to scientists and researchers as they search for the most effective treatments and for a vaccine. Please provide for a vaccine to be quickly discovered, tested, developed and made available. Please give wisdom to all rulers and officials who are making vital decisions and who are under such enormous pressure. Guide their hands so they make decisions based on both truth and love. Please withhold power and influence from anyone who would use this time for selfish gain of any kind. Please be with church leaders making big decisions that will affect so many of your people and their fellowship together. Please give them wisdom on how to best listen to governing authorities and to respect the directions that are given while still caring for one another and prioritising the needs to encourage one another as we see the day of Christ drawing near. Wherever gatherings are interrupted, please provide ways for your people to stay connected to one another and please strengthen us to care for one another in creative and genuine ways. We thank you for modern technology, which does make this much easier. Please be especially gracious to those who are already lonely and who may feel particularly isolated during the weeks ahead. Loving Heavenly Father, at a time of great need, please pour out your saving grace on our world and bring people into your kingdom in an extraordinary way. Please use this virus and all the circumstances surrounding it to bring people to their knees. Turn people's hearts and minds back to you in repentance and faith. Enable us all to see that for too long we've based our life on shifting sand. Bring people all over the world, whether for the first time or in a fresh way, to turn to the Lord Jesus as their rock and to put their hope and trust in him. Thank you that no matter where we have wandered or how long we've run from you, you are always ready to welcome us back through Jesus and what he's done for us. Please help us to be strong and courageous, not afraid or discouraged, because you are near. Help us not to be anxious, but to present all our requests to you in prayer. As we do that, may your peace guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. At a time where it feels like the whole world is changing, we praise you, Father, for you never change. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen.